This episode is supported by Primal Technologies. Primal offers secure and cost-effective data privacy solutions for your organization. It generates a synthetic alternative without disclosing your confidential data. Check it out at primal.io. P-R-Y-M-L Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco podcasting from the regular office of Leuven in Belgium. We are at the next episode of Cirrus Rust in Machine Learning. And today I'm not alone. I am with uh, Mr. Alec Mokata. <laughs> hey, Alec, how are you doing? Hello. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. And uh, Alec is um, a programmer. Can I say that, Alec? <laughs> yeah, that is that is that is what I call myself. Yes. Cool. Uh, well, he has spent quite some time between data science and distributed computing, uh, so I'm pretty sure that the audience of Data Science at Home podcast will uh, enjoy you speaking today. Well, thank you very much. So, Alec, what's your background? Introduce yourself, please. <laughs> so, um, as you said, I'm programmer by background. I've been programming for about twenty years now. Um, I've recently done a started and sold a couple of companies and um, the first one was in the space of data science the second one was more focused on distributed computing and those are sort of my two uh, primary areas of interest nice and uh, so you have been close enough to the rust programming language um, so my question is how did you get uh, close to rust like what what triggered you i think it was seeing it at the top of hacking hacking news um on a very regular basis. Um, I would click through and it seemed to, uh, people were saying all of the right things about it. Um, people were saying the fact that it gave you control, but it still was sort of, it let, let you build powerful abstractions. That was really interesting to me. I'd come from primarily from C and C++ with also some Python, some JavaScript and a bunch of others. Um, but I always liked having that control of C++ of C and C++, um, but I like the idea of something that was a bit more powerful, that where I could be more productive, as productive as I as I was in, say, Python. Um, and, and I tried Rust, and there is there is a, there is a bit of a learning curve. Um, it really takes time before you're productive. But when you when you've mastered it, I find I, I saw fairly quickly that I was more productive than I was in any in pretty much any other language, including Python and JavaScript. Um, and it's at its best in Rust. At its best, you're, I felt I was more productive. Um, at its worst, I felt I was maybe sort of ten times less productive because occasionally there you do bump into um, things that are just quite tricky in Rust that you find straightforward in Python. Um, but those, as time goes on, are getting fewer and, and far between. I had a very similar experience when uh, I decided to add Rust to the my, to my arsenal. And uh, and indeed, the learning curve was quite steep at the beginning, though uh, for uh, C's, from C, C++, probably that gap is uh, partially filled. Um, now, I've been spending some some of my time uh, lately uh, trying, you know, finding 
uh, machine learning related projects in uh, in Rust. And uh, to be honest with you, I I didn't expect to find that many, um, but uh, but I found some that are really really interesting and. Uh, to the audience of this episode, of course, <laughs> I got to know Alec uh, due to a, a project that was on GitHub, uh, silently <laughs> committed. <laughs> the project was under the name of Amadeus. Uh, did I pronounce it correctly, Alec? I, I believe so. <laughs> Sounds Latin, Italian, I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, so Alec is the um, author of the Amadeus project. So, Alec, what is Amadeus and uh, what problem does it solve? So, Amadeus is what I've wanted when I've wanted to do large-scale data science. Um, I've tried some other tools. I've tried tools like Spark, and I've found them to be um, quite cumbersome, a bit of a sledgehammer to crack a nut, and, and not ideal. There's this huge learning curve, and then they get in the way. They cause all kinds of other problems when you're just trying to do data science. Um, and I'm, as I said, primarily a programmer. So I thought this, we can do better than these. Um, so with Amadeus, what I wanted to do was find a way to let people write their data science computation in idiomatic Rust, in this, in straightforward idiomatic Rust, um, in a way with almost no learning curve. So you use the same primitives that they're used to. So in Rust, there are these things called iterators and they're super powerful. Um, and then once you, once you kind of learn how to use them, you can use them, they're, they're very widely applicable. And I wanted to find, I wanted to work out how to adapt this to data processing and specifically parallel data processing. Um, uh, and then also I've been working on making, enabling it to be distributed so that you can compose your data science pipeline and you can, you can run it locally, you can iterate locally. Um, but, but moving into production um, on a cluster is then basically just flipping a switch. And Amadeus will run your computation in, in parallel um, across as arbitrarily many machines. Um, and Amadeus makes some design choices to make that possible. I think we'll probably get onto them. There, Amadeus has, some, has limitations. But because of those limitations, it is it, able to kind of do the job so neatly. Um, and without issue. Now, if I were a data scientist in front of you, I would have been asking uh, how different is Amadeus from, for example, Dusk? Uh, Dusk, for the record, is a, can I say, a lighter version of Spark that allows you to um, create a, you know, transform your algorithm or your code, parallelizable code, into a computational graph and then lazily compute the graph. Um, once uh, you you know trigger the compute button, let's say. So how uh, how far are we from that paradigm of computation, and uh, what are the major differences that you envision between Amadeus and uh, and Dask? So under the hood, they're pretty similar. Obviously, Dask is in uh, has a Python interface, and it's obviously quite dynamic. Um, Amadeus has a Rust interface and that's more statically typed. Um, the the key that there are limitations that I, that I mentioned that Amadeus has that Dask doesn't. Amadeus does not give you something like a data frame um, to work with, and it does not let you, for example, um, sort a data set or 
or even do things if the if the data is unordered. If, you, if you've got two large data sets, it won't let you join them, for example. Whereas Dask, I believe, does, um, and that is due to the limitation um, that is in Amadeus, which is that it it focuses on um, streaming computation computations. So computation that can that, that only has uh, in memory at one time a, a bounded number of um, rows or elements. And that, when I've seen large scale, big data deployments on Sparkle or Custom or whatever else, um, that's all of them fall into this, into this category of streaming um, because more complex operations like large scale distributed joins are not a solved problem. And actually no one is doing those reliably in, in production at large scale. Um, but streaming is. Streaming is a solved problem. It just hasn't been done in Rust. Um, and so that's that's where Amadeus comes in. Well, so you're definitely filling a gap there. Um, now, in one of our chats, because Alec and I have spent quite some time on different channels discussing about Amadeus and uh, uh, some, you know, I'm not saying a vision of Amadeus, but definitely what a data scientist could be enjoying uh, uh, about this, this framework. Um, there was once a problem that you put to my attention, uh, which is a very interesting one, and it's quite fundamental, uh, which is the problem of out-of-memory errors. Uh, so can you describe what th this problem is about and uh, how does Amadeus solve it? Sure. Um, so what I've seen with large scale, I mean, I've, I've seen Spark. I actually haven't seen large scale DAX deployments, but I've seen large scale Spark deployments. And what I've seen in them is, is a long process of like the most part of a year trying to scale up what they were doing at small scale. And this process scaling up, they tend to be doing things like joining two large data sets or doing, uh, or, actually, or more commonly, doing something akin to a group buy operation. And at, at scale, um, you t almost inevitably eventually run into issues with running out of memory on a partition. This seems to happen again and again. And you end up in this iteration cycle of trying to kind of refine your data, so clean out any um, sort of bogus data that could cause partitions to, over to overflow. Um, and simplifying your algorithm just to try and get it to try and get it to run um and essentially what people end up s settling on is doing it, it doing it ultimately in almost a streaming manner so if you're running at scale the operations that involve shuffling they tend to be too painful um in production so people tend to move to, towards uh streaming um and it, because that still solves a lot of problems this is where that limitation of Amadeus uh, comes in. And as I said, it, it focuses on streaming. So where a, a, the number of rows or elements that are, that are being processed at one time, that are in memory at one time, is bounded. And this, this avoids those out-of-memory errors. This avoids partitions overflowing because um, the partitions here are, are a fixed size. They're bounded. Um, so you, you don't, you don't, you can run it arbitrarily, no matter what scale you want, you can run over tens of thousands of computers, but you're not going to run out of memory because you, you know 
how much is being used on each partition. So out of curiosity, Alec, uh, how do you define this um, uh, minimum or maximum number of records that you would send or you would, bound, you would bind that partition? So this is essentially, this number is um, what the concurrency is, how many being processed at the same time. And this is the, this is the sort of one configuration option that Amadeus has. Um, in the sort of hello world examples that are in, in the, that are in the readme, this is the, this is probably the main difference from normal idiomatic Rust iterators that I mentioned earlier. Um, you, you specify First of all, if you're running distributed, you specify the number of processes it should use. Um, and then you specify uh, the number of tasks it should run concurrently. Um, and both of these are optional. If you don't pass, if you don't pass either of these values, it'll use as many as many processes as are available. Um, and it'll use the same default for the number of tasks to have at one time. Got it. Okay, nice. And uh, so let's assume I'm a data scientist that would like to use this framework. I know it's not ready, it's just a hypothetical question. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what type of data can I connect to Amadeus as we speak? So I've been working to add some more uh, data formats that it understands, um, but so far uh, Parquet, uh, po Postgres, CSV, JSON, and then some more sort of specialized formats. One that was I, I was using for myself was um, taking the, the logs from CloudFront from an S3 bucket. Um, that's what it's got so far. And there are a couple of others I'm working on. And, and, and those as well, they all work from local hard drive or from S3. Um, so if you've got data in an S3 bucket stored in Parquet or, or, or whatever, um, then it can, it can, you can point it to that and it'll, it'll just work. Interesting. Well, it's a, it's a decent list that definitely covers, I would say, 80% of the data science workflows that I've seen so far, if not more. Um, all right, so let's switch gears and uh, speak about distributed computing. What do you think? <laughs> uh, that, well, that is a big question. <laughs> <laughs> it is. So let me, let me be a bit more specific here. Um, so when we talk about distributed computing, of course, uh, we require some sort of stack or framework that allows machines to cooperate to a, a particular computation, right? So this is a very general explanation or definition of distributed computing. Now, is it possible for multiple machines um, and not just local cores to collaborate uh, to a computation in Amadeus? That's essentially what's happening. I mean, so Amadeus is built on this library that I wrote called Constellation. And that is, and the, the goal of that is to make programming multiple machines as easy as programming multiple threads. So uh, the way that you program multiple, the, the, the typical way that in Rust you program multiple threads is by there's sort of one function to spawn a thread and run a function on that thread and then you have you have channels and a channel has a sender and a receiver and you give some data to the sender and it comes out of the receiver and you can have one end on one thread and the other end on, on another thread and so that is how threads can communicate 
Now, there's no reason why you can't have those same two primitives of essentially being able to spawn a closure and communicate across channels between threads. There's no reason why you can't have that between processes that are running on different machines. So that's exactly what Constellation aims to do. Um, it aims to make it, I mean, essentially make, um, in the same way threads are, are kind of tightly coupled, this aims to make processes across multiple machines tightly coupled. So you have essentially one program that is just running, happens to run on a bunch of machines. Um, and you, you program it just the same way. I mean, exactly the same way as you do with multiple threads in, in Rust. Hmm. Except that you have a distributed cluster behind your computation, which is impressive. Yeah, yeah. It, as it happens, I mean, this is this is entirely transparent to the user. Nice. But these is these are they they're communicating between what happens to be multiple processes, and sometimes these processes will be on the same machine, but but oftentimes they'll be on a remote machine, and this is this is transparent to the user. This is super cool. I mean, once this is ready, I I. I definitely believe that a much larger community would hang around this because uh, I mean this in fact spares people a lot of time and hides a lot of complexity you know behind uh, distributed computing so that people can in, in fact focus on, on their business application or the particular use case uh, or their machine learning algorithm and forget about the the way this algorithm is distributed uh, which is, I mean, I think the ultimate goal of all these frameworks that, that try to, um, you know, save, save time to the poor data scientists out there. Um, now, speaking about the community, I have um, definitely a, uh, let's, let, let's say, a philosophical question for you. <laughs> um, I mean, I know that Rust, we all know that Rust is a pretty young language, a bit more than eight years, if I'm not wrong. Um, and of course, there are libraries in, in Python that is, you know, the de facto standard of for machine learning and AI applications today. Uh, but of course, it has it has been uh, around for much, much longer. Uh, now, my question is, what do you think it's missing for Rust or for the Rust community uh, to be adopted, let's say, en masse by the machine learning and AI community? I think the biggest the biggest hurdle is the ecosystem. Um, Rust is the, is a very very relatively new language, and the ecosystem is growing. I mean, it's the the chart of, of crates. What Rust calls packages. What Rust calls packages um, is is growing rapidly. Um, but it's still the ecosystem is is unfortunately still quite still a way behind something like Python for data science. Um, but it is making improvements, um, especially as we're seeing more and more large companies make a big bet on Rust. Um, I think, I mean, every large tech company now has significant portions of their infrastructure built in Rust. It's only a matter of time before more and more of their data infrastructure is, is built on Rust. And as that happens, as 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 people who are, who are building that stuff, they, they move on and they think this worked really well inside X large company. I'm gonna write. I'm gonna try and create another open source version of that. I think we're gonna see more of that. 
Um, and I think we're going to start to see more of the sort of underlying infrastructure side um, boot, move to Rust. Um, I think there will be, they'll, for a long time, there'll be room for Python bindings on top. Um, and again, that's something that is only becoming really nice relatively recently in, in Rust's history. Um, there's this nice, there's this Rust uh, project called PyO3, or maybe I'm, maybe its name's supposed to be pronounced differently, um, but it makes it unbelievably easy to make really nice Python bindings. Um, so I think there, there's a lot of uh, kind of ingredients there. I think there's just um, some time and a lot of effort needs to go in to really um, bring everything together and getting adoption um, and making it as making it sufficiently productive for data scientists and data engineers to, to justify picking it up and using it. For yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I really wish that Python becomes the, uh, let's say, the front end language. Um, and so, you know, every language should be at its, at its own place. So I strongly believe that uh, uh, Rust is, uh, is I, I believe that Rust is more than just systems programming. Um, it could definitely take a nice play a nice role in the in in many backend systems. Um, I've been discussing this in another episode of the same series, uh, Rust and ML on Data Science at Home. Um, but uh, okay, I mean that this is a, a nice vision, and uh, I I also embrace that. Um, so of course the community is young now. Speaking about the community, uh, feel free to join uh, the project of Alec. Uh, a bit of PR here, Alec. Allow me to do that. <laughs> Thank you very much. And feel feel free feel free to yeah. um, as as Francesco did drop by the chat and say hi. Yeah, I mean, I think the Amadeus is a great project, and it uh, it deserves a bit more attention by the from the community. And uh, I'm pretty sure that all these frameworks that are uh, you know uh, in, created every day in the Crate IO and 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 somewhere else GitHub as well, of course. Uh, I really believe that it's the you know the the wisdom of the crowd that will make the difference here, and so let's uh, let's make a call to the community uh, and to you know be more uh, active in developing these new tools or existing tools in this new amazing language. Alec, it was nice to have you here on the show. I'm pretty sure that the audience of Data Science at Home podcast appreciate your presence here and your pearls of wisdom. I also have the pleasure to announce that uh, Alec will be speaking at the LDN Virtual Talks on uh, June 24th, uh, 2020. I will report the link on the show notes of this episode on datasensatome.com. As I was saying, Alec will be speaking about data processing uh, in idiomatic Rust. He will introduce Amadeus as the open source library for fast and reliable data processing and analysis in Rust. And uh, in the talk online, it will, uh, of course, provide an example of how to process data from a parquet source and uh, other sources. But of course, I will not disclose more. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Thank you very much. This episode is supported by Primal Technologies. Primal offers secure and cost-effective data privacy solutions for your organization. It generates a synthetic alternative without disclosing your confidential data. Check it out at primal.io, P-R-Y-M-L dot I-O. 
You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.